will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us into the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Coming to Mount Calvary now, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The first person that Jesus encountered on the road to, to Calvary was Simon Cyrene. Uh, Simon, Simon was, uh, Cyrene is in the northern part of Africa. It's really known as the, the city of Libya today, or the country of Libya. And, uh, here Simon is here for the Passover festival. Uh, Simon is a devout Jew. Simon knows nothing about Jesus, but G- Simon is, is caught up in uh, this uh, crowd watching these prisoners walk down this, this road. And here he sees Jesus. He has no idea why this is happening to this man. And the Roman soldiers pick out Simon of Cyrene and tell him to carry Jesus' cross. 
Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simon Cyrene, but if you go to the book of Mark, uh, Mark in Mark's gospel in chapter 15, verse 21, tells us a little bit about, more about Simon. He had two sons, uh, Alexander and Rufus. Apparently, Mark was very familiar with Simon. And uh, if you read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, verse 13, one of Simon's sons is mentioned in that passage of Scripture, Rufus. Apparently, Rufus is one of the leaders of the Roman church. Romans was written before Mark, and so as Mark describes who Simon is in his gospel, it's the first gospel that was written, uh, Mark mentions Alexander and Rufus. And so what we can surmise from uh, the gospels and Mark's account, that even though Simon had not known Jesus uh, when he came to Jerusalem, after carrying Jesus' cross, after having watched Jesus die a brutal death on, on Calvary's hill, at some point in time, Simon became a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ. And that played out in his family and in his children. And his children grew up to be leaders of uh, the first century church. And so here we see Simon uh, in verse 26. And what a, what a sobering and beautiful picture it is of Simon carrying Jesus' cross. It's what Jesus tells us to do as his followers. We are to pick up our cross and follow him. Even though Simon had no idea what he was doing on this particular day, this would be a part of his life as he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. God is working. God's grace is working in Simon's life in, in a chaotic scene. The second group group of people that Jesus encounters on the road to Calvary is the women who are mourning. And uh, we don't know much about these women. These women were uh, obviously uh, devout and uh, they were sympathetic with, with what was happening in Jesus's life. They may or may not have known Jesus, but they were most likely uh, professional mourners. And this would be something they typically do for any prisoner who's going down this road. And they would offer some type of pain medication and sympathy uh, and just kind of consoling them along the way. And so here these mourners are, are, we don't know who they are, but Jesus stops. And Jesus isn't thinking of himself right now. Jesus is thinking of others. And Jesus wants to warn the others. He says this in verse 27, uh, verse 28, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves 
and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Now, when you understand New Testament culture, uh, wombs that are are barren, that breasts that don't that don't nurse. Uh, this isn't a blessing. This is a curse. But here, in this moment of time, when these events occur, women who don't have children are going to be better off than women who do because their their life will not be encumbered as they're trying to escape Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is going to come under judgment, Jesus says. And Jerusalem is going to be judged because of what they're doing with Jesus. They have rejected the Messiah. And Jesus says in verse 31, if they do these things when the wood is green, symbolizing Jesus' presence, if they're doing uh, this to the Son of God, what will happen when it is dry? When the, the, the city has forsaken God, the city has turned its back on the Son of God. What is that going to be like? And they're going to, people are going to cry out that the hills would fall on them, that they would die because of the duress that they are going through. And we know from history that this took place in A.D. 70. And so Jesus is warning believers. And I want you to see the grace of God uh, through the Holocaust of A.D. 70. If you read the book of Acts, you understand that the church was persecuted. And that Christians, the, the early church, fled Jerusalem. As horrific, as difficult as that was... God used this in Christians' lives to spare them from the judgment that was going to occur in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Here we see the grace of God. Here we see the concern and compassion of Jesus Christ as he's warning these women, these mourners, in this passage of Scripture. And then we come to verse 32. And in verse 32, Jesus is uh, <clears throat> Jesus has come to Calvary with two criminals, and they are being crucified. And and this is this is a fulfillment of prophecy. We read in. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52, what was going to happen to the suffering servant when Jesus was going to be scourged. He was going to be unrecognizable. In Luke chapter 22, in the upper room, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be crucified between two thieves. And he quotes Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 12, where Isaiah, again, prophesies that Jesus is going to be crucified between two thieves. Um, When Jesus quotes a passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at this a little bit more in just a moment. When Jesus quotes a passage of Scripture, 
Jesus is affirming the whole chapter of Scripture. You know, Jesus doesn't quote the entire passage of Scripture. He'll, he'll, he'll quote a text. But understand, when Jesus quotes a passage of Scripture, you need to go back and you need to read the chapter and what our Lord and Savior is affirming and what he believes. And so when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, he knows exactly what's going to transpire in his life in all of Isaiah chapter 53. And what happened, what Isaiah prophesied 700 years prior to Jesus' crucifixion is as if it's happening in this very text. Some scholars say that Isaiah chapter 53 is the fifth gospel of the Old Testament. Uh, How prophetic, how how accurate Isaiah's words, words were. And so here we have Jesus uh, suspended between heaven and hell, hanging like meat from the, the cross. And in verse 34, Jesus prays this prayer. Actually, he's quoting from Psalm chapter 35, verse 5. And we'll look at that in, in, in a moment. But he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who's Jesus referring to? Father, forgive them. Jesus is referring to the Roman soldiers who have nailed him to the cross, who are about to mock him, who are on the ground uh, playing dice uh, for Jesus' clothing. Jesus is praying for his enemies. Asking, Father, forgive them. Now, does this mean that God just automatically forgives, that there's this blanket forgiveness? No. But he's praying that God will give them an opportunity to recognize who Jesus really is. And as he prays that prayer, we're going to see that for some people, God answers that prayer. But he quotes from Psalm chapter 35. Now, Jesus is on the cross. This is a a horrific scene. Jesus is in excruciating pain. His body is pulverized. He's he's working for every breath. He's in excruciating pain. But I want you to see at the same time God's excruciating love that he has for every one of us. These events are happening simultaneously. Do we understand the significance of the cross? You know, the cross in Jesus' day was a horrific symbol. I mean, it was, it was offensive. People didn't even want to talk about the cross because it was so despicable. They would see scenes of the cross 
all over the landscape. And Roman soldiers would use it extensively to continue to uh, communicate to the Jews uh, the, uh, the seriousness of breaking the law. And Jews would walk along roads and Roman soldiers would have uh, criminals, convicted criminals, crucified on crosses right by the roadside. And these crosses weren't uh, real high in the air. No, they were at eye level. And people were able to see these criminals uh, face-to-face dying uh, for their crimes. People didn't like to talk about the cross. But, you know, that's, that's not the way it is today. When we think about the cross today, uh, we've, we've beautified the cross. We've made it real shiny and pretty. And we've made it into jewelry. But it was the cross that Jesus died on, took our sin upon himself, took our sin, became the curse who died on that tree so that our sin might be forgiven. Jesus took our sin and put it on him and he gave us his righteousness. He replaced our sin with his righteousness. This is what the story of the cross is all about. Have you allowed the cross to change your life? Do you understand what Jesus went through? I believe there are a group of people in the Middle East right now who understand the significance of the cross. I hope you haven't forgotten about the 200 or more Syrian Christians who were kidnapped about a month ago. We need to continue to pray for them. And I have this fear that next week, Good Friday or Easter, that ISIS is going to make a spectacle of them on Christians' most sacred and holiest days, Good Friday and Easter. I pray that that not be so. But there are Christian Christians in the Middle East who know the horrors of crucifixion, who are seeing it where they live and fear that it may happen to their own life. But they are willing to do whatever God would have them to do for the name of Jesus. I'd like to just pray for a moment. And let's lift up those those Christians in the Middle East right now. Would you just pray silently for them? Father, I can't imagine living in that kind of environment. But you know the names of every one of your children 
who are facing persecution. God, I pray for those who've been kidnapped especially. God, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would deliver them. And we know that you're going to deliver them one way or another. But just like that one mother who prayed, Lena's prayer, who prayed, Father, for her enemies. That God, that, that you would love them, that she would love them, and that she would forgive them. Father, I pray that this be the prayer of all those Christians who are in fear of their lives right now. God, make them strong. Very, Be very real. Be a place of res- a person of refuge for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Jesus is on the cross, and he's praying, praying for his enemies that God might forgive them. And then we come to verse 35, and we see that the rulers have mocked him. They're taunting him. Um, They know exactly who Jesus is and who Jesus has claimed to be. They know all the ways that uh, God has rescued others, and so they are mockingly say, now save yourself. But Jesus knows he's not going to save himself from that cross. Nothing's going to bring him down from that cross. So the rulers mock him. The soldiers mocked him in verses 36 and 37. The Bible says that they offered him uh, wine vinegar. That was not a gesture of concern. Yeah, it was yucky. And they wanted to make sure it was yucky because it was meant to be a very terrible taste, bitter taste. Uh, Again, they were just mocking Jesus. And again, we see the divine silence of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, say a word. We see Pilate mocking Jesus from the sign that's hung above his head. Uh, Jesus, King of the Jews. And it's written in three different languages because Pilate wants the world, the people of all the various languages who are there for a Passover festival, to know uh, who this Jesus is. But Pilate is mockingly saying that Jesus is the king of the Jews when we know as followers of Christ he really is not only the king of the Jews but king of the whole world. And then in verse 39 we find one of the criminals uh, mocking him. If you read the book of Matthew, both criminals were mocking him initially in the beginning. But here we see this verse, This one criminal in verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This criminal is making a demand he doesn't deserve. But the other criminal, 
who was initially mocking Jesus, he grows silent. He's been observing Jesus. He sees all these who have been mocking him. He's heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're they're doing. And this criminal has a change of thought. Jesus isn't like him and the other guy. Jesus is innocent. And instead of mocking Jesus, he makes a request. He makes a request that he knows he doesn't deserve. And in verse 40, it says, 41, Indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus do? He answers his prayer. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not sometime down the road, but today. When you take your last breath today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You don't have to get off that cross and go be baptized and go to church and do all these things. No, because you believe in me that I can forgive you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here is a deathbed prayer of salvation. Is there somebody you're praying for? You've been praying for them for a few days, maybe a few months. I know some folks that have prayed for a loved one for years, 40 years. And God answers that prayer. Don't give up praying. Here Jesus answers this criminal's request. There is no other religion, my friend, like Christianity on the face of the planet. What Jesus did for this criminal is so offensive to other people of other religions. Because in their minds, there is so much they have to do to hopefully gain God's approval. To hopefully get in. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is purely and simply faith. In knowing who Jesus is. And calling upon him to save you from your sin. That thief, that criminal, when he died, he got his full inheritance. Here, I've been a Christian for 46 years now. You know what? 
that criminal is getting the same inheritance that I'm going to get when I come into the kingdom of heaven. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. And that's our God. And so then we come to verses 45 through, or 44 through 48. And in verses 40 and 44, 44 and 45, darkness comes over the city. Jesus is hanging from the cross and there is darkness. Now there's not darkness around, all around the world. No, this is just in the city of Jerusalem. And it's like the cross was draped in the in morning sackcloth. In in morning sackcloth. What was that like? I don't know. But there's an incident in Egypt. If you go back to Exodus chapter ten. Exodus chapter ten. Let me just read this. But the ninth plague. The Bible says that there was darkness that came over Egypt. It says this in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. This was just on the Egyptian people. There was darkness. I don't know if it was darkness like this, but we're talking about a darkness that they felt. I imagine this was a darkness here uh, between the hours of 12 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon that the people felt. Why? Why was this happening in the middle of the day? Because God was pouring out our sin upon his son. The curse of the law was falling upon Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6, were becoming a reality. Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God was pouring our sin upon his son. And in the midst of that darkness, when God turned his back on his son, Jesus cried out, quoting from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus 
had taken his sin, our sin, upon himself. And in that time of darkness, the Bible says in verse 45 that the temple curtain was torn in two. This is not an easy thing to do. The temple, the the curtain that separated uh, the priests, the high priest from the Holy of Holies, that temple curtain was as thick as a person's hand, the, 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 the width of a person's hand. The curtain was torn in two. What is God saying through the curtain being torn in two. Number one, there's going to be judgment that's coming upon this temple. This temple is going to be destroyed. And in fact, this temple and what this temple symbolizes is no longer significant. It's outdated. The sacrificial system is no longer in effect. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the final sacrifice. And as children of God, we have direct access into the Holy of Holies, God's presence through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is now our perfect high priest. He is the perfect lamb slain for the, the, the sin of the people. We have the opportunity to enter the presence of God through Jesus. The curtain was torn in two. And then in verse 36, just before Jesus takes his last breath, he quotes from Psalm 31, verse 5. And he adds... He adds one word to that psalm. I want you to look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31 is the righteous sufferer's prayer. And the Jews would quote Psalm 31.5 before they went to sleep. This was the good night prayer. And verse 5 says, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Jesus added another word to that, that, that verse. Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Abba, Daddy, into your hand, I commit my spirit. He is continuing to trust his father. It is utter darkness. God has turned his back on the son. And yet Jesus quotes that prayer. Father, into your hand, I trust my spirit. This psalm is a psalm of trust. When Jesus quotes verse 5, Jesus believes all of chapter 31, Psalm 31. Let me just read the first five verses. And I want to encourage you to go home. I want you to read the whole chapter. But this is what Jesus believes from the cross. Jesus says, In you, O Lord, 
do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Jesus is modeling for us, church, from the cross, through these words, quoting from Psalm 31, that no matter what circumstances God has allowed you or is allowing you to go through, he continues to be your refuge. He is going to be your deliverer. Jesus is about to take his last breath. And even in his last breath, Jesus knows that his father is going to deliver him, rescue him. Do you believe that? Even in death, my friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you win. That is the greatest victory. Here Jesus is on the cross. All these things have happened to him. And he continues to trust. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's faith. And that's the kind of faith that God wants to bring us to. Not by being on June Lake in a boat on a wonderful sunny day with not a cloud in the sky, no wind. That's not where we're going to develop that faith. It's through times of suffering. CNN had a special on atheists this last week, and there was a former pastor who's who has an atheist church, and they don't sing songs of the cross. They just sing happy songs. They sing songs about the weather, but, you know, he talked about having served in the church and having pastored a Christian church and then coming to the conclusion that God wasn't real. God didn't exist. He doesn't know the Bible. Here Jesus is in the worst and most horrific circumstances. Knows beyond a shadow of doubt that God is going to be his deliverer. That's the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. 
May we learn from Jesus' words. And then we see the centurion's confession in verse 47. And God answers Jesus' prayer. The centurion watches Jesus die. And the centurion says in verse 47, Surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was innocent. So let's draw this to a conclusion. How is this text to change our life? Number one, have you allowed Jesus's sacrifice for you? Personalize this now. Jesus isn't just dying for the world. He's dying for your sin. Have you allowed this text to change your life? How does it change your life? Through faith. Bible says we must believe. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who works really hard. Is that what it says? Those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's how this text changes your life. You must recognize that you're a sinner. That you have failed God. But the good news is that God has taken your sin and has placed it on his son and taken his righteousness, his son's righteousness, and put it on you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The great transaction. You must believe that. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sin. But not only died for your sin, next Sunday we're going to talk about it, but rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He died on Friday, but he came out of the grave on Sunday morning. And conquered sin and death. We must believe that. And for those who continue to pray. Who who are you praying for? That needs to know the Lord. Don't give up on them. This is a chaotic scene. People are spitting on Jesus. Jesus mocking him. Jesus is just pulverized meat. And yet here, Simon Cyrene is carrying Jesus' cross. And through this horrific event, God's grace is working in Simon. And down the road, Simon becomes a Christian. Maybe there's somebody that you're praying for, and it's not going well for them. Just understand that God's grace works in horrific circumstances.
a thief on the cross came to know Jesus. A Roman centurion who maybe uh, drove one of the nails through Jesus' hands or his feet became a believer. Don't stop praying for those who are lost. Even if it's on their deathbed. I've had the privilege of praying the sinner's prayer for individuals who are about to take their last breath. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'll just wait till the end. You may not have that opportunity. And really, Jesus doesn't want you to wait to the end. I prayed with one father who waited to the end. And Jesus, Jesus changed his heart. He was able to tell his sons for the very first time that he loved them. Their boys, his boys had been longing for him to say those words their entire lives. And it wasn't until the end of their life. Had Jesus got a hold of that father's heart early in those boys' lives, those boys wouldn't have the issues that they're struggling with today because their dad had been so ugly to them. Jesus wants to change your heart, my friends. Jesus wants to make you a good dad today. Jesus wants to give you life today. Don't wait to the end. Trust him today. But don't give up on praying for those who are lost. A third application from this text is Jesus shows us how to respond to our enemies. He's on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. There was a video I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, We showed it over the summer. It was Lena's prayer from the voice of the martyrs. But because there's children in the service this morning, it was going to be too graphic. But you remember Lena who was praying for revival in Syria? And God asked her, you know, uh, are you willing to give me your life? And then he asked her, are you willing me to give me your husband's life? And then Jesus asked, are you willing for to give me my your children's life? And how gut-wrenching that was. And that she had to sit down with her children and talk to them about the fact that there might be evil people who come into their house and do um, terrible things to mommy and daddy and maybe them. And if that happens, tell them that Jesus loves them and that you forgive them. And close your eyes. And when you open them, you will see Jesus. Jesus loved his enemies. Christians in Iraq and Syria are learning to love their enemies.
and to forgive them. Jesus has no less for us. Where does this forgiveness come from? It doesn't come from our flesh. It doesn't come from us not depending on Jesus and walking with Jesus. We must be trusting Him daily. And then finally, just see from this passage of Scripture that God takes sin seriously. Jesus was crucified. Let's not be flippant about our sin. To think, oh, God will just forgive me. Well, I'm just going to go on. No. Yes, forgiveness may be free, but forgiveness is costly. It costs Jesus his life. Jesus wants us to give us to him our life in return. May we take sin seriously and live in obedience to him. Let's pray. I know the hour's late, but I want to take this time to connect with God this morning. We're going to worship and we want you to do business with God. If you're here this morning, friend, and you've never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, today can be the day of your salvation. And there are people here who want to help you cross that threshold of faith and leave here with Jesus in your heart. As we stand and sing in just a moment, I want to encourage you to go to the dining hall right behind us, right behind you, and talk to someone about how to become a Christian. Is there a person in your life who's lost that you're praying for? Friend, don't give up on them. God uses all kinds of circumstances to draw people to himself. God hears our prayer. Continue to trust. Jesus, this is a sobering text. As we come back together on Friday, Good Friday, to remember what you, you did for us, Lord, may we never forget. I pray that you would take this time of worship and use it in each of our lives. Christ, you alone are our God. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing this song?